Exodus chapter 23 this evening. In our journey through the Bible. When we come to chapter 23, we find ourselves breaking into a section that we've extended several chapters here in the book of Exodus, beginning in chapter 20, where uh, the Lord gave to Moses what has become uh, known as the Law of Moses and also uh, known as the Ten Commandments. And so God in chapter 20 gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And then beginning in chapter 21 through chapter 23, he begins to speak to uh, elaborate a little bit upon the, the Ten Commandments, on how these Ten Commandments uh, apply to the nitty-gritty of life, the daily uh, of life. And so we saw as he enlarged on the Ten Commandments in chapter 21, it included instruction on the treatment of slaves, the identification of capital crimes, crimes that uh, required the death sentence or death penalty for committing them, uh, laws governing violent crime against other human beings and, uh, and resulting in personal injuries, uh, laws governing gross negligence to have a goring ox and to know that and yet to continue to put people in danger. Uh, gross negligence, open pits, setting fires that you knew you couldn't you know, contain within your field, spreading over to another field. All of these things uh, God held people responsible for. Laws governing in chapter 22, personal property, so having to do with burglars and thieves and borrowers. <laughs> you know, they're not quite as bad as the first two, uh, but uh, being responsible for, to respect the, the right of, of personal property in, in other people's lives. And then laws in chapter 22 governing sexual purity, laws also governing the treatment of widows, the fatherless, the poor, that is the most powerless uh, people within a society. And so now we continue in chapter 23 with laws uh, governing the protection of uh, impartial justice. And these different laws that we're going to look at here in chapter 23 each of these uh, things that he's going to prohibit would undermine justice or undermine the judicial system uh, of a nation. So the issue here is, is that you can have the greatest set of laws and God has provided the nation of Israel with a, a, a perfect set of laws. But if you do not have judges who will uh, stand behind those laws and mete out justice appropriately from those laws, or you do not have a citizenry uh, that is interested in telling the truth and, uh, and uh, about situations when drawn into a court of law, then the laws become nothing because uh, the corruption of the judicial system or the corruption of the citizenry uh, spoils the law. So you have to have laws that come from God, but then you have to have impartial godly judges, and then you have to have citizens that are concerned enough about uh, right and wrong, law and order, decent and in order, God's way within a, a nation or, or within a people group that they're going to tell the truth no matter what. And so these are, these are laws that protect the, the integrity of the judicial system within a nation. You shall not circulate a false report. And so uh, the, God is calling on his people that we're always to tell the truth and never to tell a lie and 
and, uh, and that's always important, but in this context, it talks about a courtroom or a legal hearing. And boy, people have gotten very crafty today in learning how to lie without technically, uh, you know, being able to be, have it stick to them. But uh, uh, we're not to be that kind of person. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. In other words, if there's a group of people that are coming together and uh, it's a conspiracy to deceive. All right, when you get called on the witness stand, you, here's our story. It's this, this, and this, and that this, this, and this is all a lie. And he prohibits us as God's people from being drawn into any kind of conspiracy to lie and undermine justice uh, in, in that particular uh, situation. He tells us uh, then also, you shall not follow a crowd to do Evil, And so here we're talking about vigilante uh, justice, mob justice as it's called, where a group of people would uh, rise up together in rebellion, take the law into their own hands. We just read about it this week, didn't we, where um, uh, some city in the United States, uh, a couple of men in a car innocently drove into an apartment complex and there was a child playing out in, in the open, accidentally hit the child. The child actually survived and uh, was not uh, critically uh, injured at all. Uh, well, some group of people that were standing by uh, pulled, uh, started to beat the driver of the vehicle and when someone got out of the vehicle to try and uh, speak some sense into the people, they proceeded to beat him to death. And so, uh, taking the law into their own hands instead of allowing law enforcement, the laws of the land to, uh, to run their course uh, in, 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 the, uh, in, in the situation. And so we're to stay away from a crowd that looks like, I'm going to jump into this, but it looks like this thing's going to take off and it's going to get uh, ugly. You shall not, well, uh, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert uh, justice. And so the forbidding of false testimony and so we're to be on the witness stand really anywhere but in a court of law in the context we're to be honest we're not to slander uh, other people even if we have to stand alone in order to be honest that's what God calls us to do more is at stake than just our uh, easiness and our life and, and being free of trials and these kinds of things it's the very issue of law and order within a nation and if that collapses and and people aren't willing to take that stand, then you end up with a country that nobody wants to live in. And so uh, we either as citizens of a nation take this kind of a stand and then sometimes uh, take the, uh, uh, you know, guff for it, so to speak, uh, it, or the alternative is much, much worse. He said, you shall not show partiality to the poor man in his dispute. Now he's going to, in just a couple of verses here, he's going to talk about the fact that the judicial system is not to look at the poor man and despise him because of his poverty. Typically to be a poor person in any country uh, makes you a relatively powerless person uh, in, in that country. And, uh, and so those kind of people can be taken advantage of. And he's going to prohibit taking advantage of the poor. It's very, very interesting here in verse 3 that he prohibits the 
the other extreme here, that the laws of the land are to be meted out fairly, whether a person is rich or poor. And no, the judicial system is not to look at a poor person, take pity or factor in their poverty for their crime, and be uh, uh, more lenient than the law allows uh, upon their situation. Poverty is not an excuse for crime. It's not an excuse for crime in God's eyes. There's no reason for the rich man, the poor man, anyone to commit crime. There are no excuses for it in the eyes of, of God. And, and so they were not to nurture this idea that, well, because of this or wrong side of the tracks or this thing or that thing, that we're going to set have a different set of laws that we bring to bear on their situations. Now, in God's eyes, righteousness is righteousness, unrighteousness is unrighteousness. It is to be equally applied uh, no matter what kind of uh, differentiation in a person's life in terms of uh, status or class or these things, these ways that uh, mankind is, is divided by mankind. You, if you greet your enemy's ox, say you got an enemy in the neighborhood, and uh, here's his ox or his donkey it's going astray it's running away it might fall off a cliff or something you shall surely bring it back to your enemy again now the, the reaction of the flesh uh, to an ox or a donkey of your enemy heading off is like alright <laughs> praise the Lord justice here that'll teach him to you know throw his manure into my yard or whatever kind of a thing or has created the rift or something. And so the flesh would just look at that and say, well, I hope that animal runs off and he never sees it again. That would be perfect, uh, perfect in my eyes. But the, the problem is, is we must never allow some kind of a conflict with another human being um, to cause us to be less than humane in our lives. And, and so here is an animal that's now going to be in danger, walk, going astray from its master, going to walk off a cliff somewhere maybe, certainly in the night will be torn apart by, by wild animals in that situation. And so just because the animal has an idiot for an owner, don't take it out on the animal. Uh, and, and so we're, we are to maintain our humanity created in the image of God in any situation, even situations that in, involve our enemies. Our enemies are never to turn us into something less than human uh, just because they are our enemies. If you see... The donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden uh, and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help them with it. And so you've got a donkey and uh, it's just loaded down with weight and, and what it's carrying, its load. And when, that, when a donkey typically under that kind of weight would go down to its knees uh, and, and beyond and because of the load, it, it can kind of keep going as long as it's on its feet but once it's reached that kind of place with too heavy of a load it can't get back up on its feet so here you are walking by the donkey has collapsed under the load 
and so the owner is trying to, your enemy owner is trying to help the animal up and everything typically what they would do is here would be the donkey it would be down one man would get on one side of the load over here the other man over this side of the load and then they lift it up together and uh, let the donkey get back on his feet and proceed and so God is saying listen you would do that for any other human being and, uh, and so even though it's your enemy don't let the, what this person has done to you again rob you of, of doing what is the humane and, and right thing to do uh, in the eyes of not only God but people you go ahead and help him with it you shall not pervert the judgment of the poor uh, in his dispute so here's what we talked about earlier uh, they, a, the poor man the powerless man uh, in, in any nation it should be among God's people that was never to be held against him he was to be he was as as due uh, righteous judgment and a fair treatment in a court of law as anyone else who could afford the most powerful and and skilled of, of lawyers again justice was to be justice it was to be colorblind it was to be money blind it was to be everything blind that's how God wanted it and that's how he wants it today keep yourself far from a false matter do not kill the innocent uh, and righteous for I will not justify the wicked. And so uh, the, uh, we're not to have anything to do with any false matter that would produce a wrong verdict in a, in a court of law. And again, there can be ways without even out and out lying of leaving people with the impression of something that isn't the true impression that they ought to have. And we are to steer completely away from that and uh, of course in a court of law the stakes are very high many times these uh, a human beings uh, life would hang in the balance their livelihood lots of things the uh, the future of their children would hang in the balance based upon the ruling of of the court and so we we were not to do we're not to do anything that would produce a false uh, verdict then in verse 8 you shall take no bribe for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous so bribes are powerful things and, he, and you notice there he talks about the fact that it'll blind the discerning and it, and it will pervert the words of the righteous in other words even the most righteous even the most discerning even the most strong of, of people who have a concern for godliness they can be influenced by bribes and that's why there's the uh, giving of money today in uh, the political campaigns and things like that and everybody says oh it doesn't affect me well I think that a uh, even a cursory study of how people uh, you know vote in these things based upon where money goes money's very powerful it does influence votes it does influence people and that's why that kind of thing goes on why does a salesman uh, come in and take the president of a company or a vice president or the purchasing officer out to lunch a free lunch by the way and you say well there's no way I mean that this free lunch is going to affect me in any way in deciding you know where we're going to buy these supplies from he knows better she knows better they know that we will at least hesitate in our consideration on that and then how much worse when we're not talking about 
construction paper or, or toner for the copier or something like that when we're, we're talking about bribes that are intended to overturn justice. And so we're to be careful of anything that would make us be less than able to say, I am going to judge this uh, uh, on the basis of the facts, I don't care what you give me or you don't give me, and the safest way is, is not to receive anything that would hinder us in that way. Here he's, he's forbidding a bribe, which is just an out and out, you know, coming to you and saying, I'll give you this if you uh, subvert justice in, in this case. Of course, that is, uh, is to be rejected completely, but also I think anything that uh, hinders our ability to listen to God and obey God in a situation good to steer clear you also you shall not oppress a stranger for you know the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in Egypt. And Egypt. So strangers were to get equal justice uh, uh, among the Jewish nation as well as the native born. And I don't know how many, I mean one of the interesting things about traveling uh, sometimes out of the country is you go into other parts of the world and you realize, wow, it's not that great of a thing to be a stranger in this country. Uh, number one, you're noticed very, very quickly and you are an very vulnerable place to be taken advantage of and uh, so uh, the Lord speaks to the children of Israel and says when strangers are, because we're rep they're representing the Lord right when strangers are in your midst here now they're to get uh, judgment and justice equal to the to the native population shouldn't be you know twenty five thousand dollars slipped over here to get them out or you're gonna you know hammer them in some way because they're foreigners or something that shouldn't be uh, the case then he, he moves on for laws governing the Sabbath year and the Sabbath day. Six years you shall sow your land and so with, with your olive trees or your almond trees or uh, whatever the, the wheat or whatever the crop might be, six years you shall sow your land, do your farming and all of that, gather in its produce but the seventh year you shall let the land rest and lie fallow. Wow! So they, they get to work six years, and God promises that he'll, he'll give them enough in that six years to take the seventh year off. Now how outstanding would that be? If every sixth year we, we got to have the seventh year completely off, could, could somebody like uh, pass a clipboard around? Where do we sign up for this? And that would just be terrific. And, and uh, there are reasons for it that we're going to get to in just a moment. But that, the Lord uh, wanted them to, to do this related uh, to, the, to the land. The reasons that he gives there is uh, that they should let it rest and lie fallow. Uh, number one reason is for the good of the land. For the good of the land. So that the land wouldn't be in constant production. The land would get a Sabbath year's rest uh, in, in each one of those cycles. So that it, it could rest, it could restore, and then go into heavy production once again. And God recognized that land, he's, he's made the whole earth, that the land needed that kind of, of a rest. So it was good for the earth, it was good for the land. I, I think we're in the middle of a period right now. I mean, I was... Uh, uh, more than alive back in the 70s. I was quite alive uh, back in the 70s when kind of that the whole uh, 
ecology movement started coming in Earth Day and all that kind of stuff and what it's you know devolved into in some ways is I, I don't agree with but uh, to be alive back in the 70s and the quality of the air and what we were doing to the water in this country and and lots of things so this whole movement started to, to kind of say let's let's take care of the earth here a little bit let's not worship the earth um, and let's not make it our highest priority in life it is going to one day be destroyed and replaced with a new heaven and a new earth but there's nothing wrong with this upsurge that's even occurring today where people I think all people but especially younger people are looking and saying let's take care of our resources a little bit in terms of the earth nothing wrong with that at all again don't worship it don't make it the uh, purpose of your life your life as a Christian as to do with God and all but there's nothing wrong with that being concerned about the environment not you know uh, I was talking uh, recently when we were in um, uh, in, in Georgia and uh, the um, several of the we were having dinner and there were several pastors and their wives at the at the table and and all and uh, they were talking about the work going on in Haiti and uh, uh, how difficult the work is there not only because of uh, the voodoo and and the cultural things and there's a lot of other problems with it but they have so denuded the island I mean they've just they've cut down anything and everything that's above so many feet and the soil of course is washing away and the whole thing is it it's to cut your own throat in those kind of ways and so this is just kind of you know ancient uh, take care of of your environment it feeds you it you, you depend on it and so don't abuse it so it was for the sake of of the earth but also for the sake of the poor uh, let it let it that seventh year let it just do its thing and and let let the what is, grows out on the wild on its own that's going to be for the poor of your people uh, to eat it and what they leave then the beasts of the field they can be left to grace with what's left and in like manner you shall do to your vineyard and to your olive grove and so the second reason for this was you wouldn't harvest it but of course if you have uh, peaches or almonds or you had uh, olive trees or grain something would you know you would get a crop that would come out and you weren't free to go in and harvest that crop that was to be left for the poor to come in and and uh, take advantage of what God was providing there to help them out beautiful actually we're talking about God doing things decently in order doing things in a way that does not develop irresponsibility uh, with among his people so this was kind of a neat way to do it kind of a neat welfare system actually where the poor could go in and they could harvest but they had to harvest it they had to do something for it they had to do some work there had to be some personal responsibility involved in it so there's the satisfaction of having done it and so God is wanting to provide for them but he's not wanting to produce a weak human being or a dependent human being in the course of doing uh, that and uh, a necessarily dependent human being upon other people uh, once a responsible one and so it was a beautiful way of bringing it together now, now, if God came to you and said, listen, here's the deal. You got land, you, you can make a living, 
on, on what you got here. And I'm going to take care of you over the course of six years so you can take every seventh year off. And we just think, wow, is that like the most amazing no-brainer? I mean, most of us are, would, you know, are dying for a year off. <laughs> you know, we'll get it one year before we go to be with the Lord. But um, so and you think... Wow, everybody would, that would be the one commandment in all the law that everyone would glom onto and absolutely obey. They never obeyed it one year. They never obeyed it one year. Not one seven year cycle did they obey God's commandment here. And so for 490 years they failed to give the land of Israel its Sabbath rest, its Sabbath year. So they were, the land was owed 70 years rest. So what did the Lord do? He allowed the Babylonians to come in and take the, the people captive from the land, displace them into Babylon, and then and took them into that captivity for seven years. And the land got the rest that God said that it was to have. God's going to get his one way or another. That's just the way that it is. And, but uh, you think about the power of greed. They looked at that seven years and the seventh year. There were all of those uh, olives once again. And it just was going to kill them not to harvest it and take that money and then stash it away. I mean the power of covetousness. The power of covetousness would cause even God's people to turn away from one year off that God was wanting to build into their lives. It's a dangerous thing. And I think it really teaches us as God, he's going to get into the Sabbath day. We might get, it to, we might get to it tonight. Um, it's the next verse. But, the, the, but you get a sense on the Sabbath day, taking one day off a week, and then the seventh year off. Now, the whole country of Israel wouldn't go out of production for a whole year. It was, you know, this person had started their seven years here, this over here and here. So you always had some portion of the country in production. On, on things but but uh, with this it, surely it instructs us as, as Americans I mean we we are known I mean you even uh, by your really all over the world doesn't matter where we are known as hard-working people that we are go 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 you know we take the least vacation time you know in the in the industrialized world and 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 going and doing and we're just a, we're pretty aggressive hard working people and i and i like that but i think we have to be careful cuz cuz god likes hard work in those things but he also says there's a time to rest and to not feel uh, guilty about it. Now my wife is sitting there saying, Physician, heal thyself. But, um, so maybe I am preaching to myself tonight. Okay, Lord, I, I, you know, so, I hate it. I hate to, this turns into a confession right here in front of hundreds of people. But, but it, it does speak to us of, of the fact that, you know, commercial Babylon will run us ragged. Our own covetousness will run us ragged. But there's a place, an important place, for rest. Again, taking time to enjoy the blessings that God has brought into our life through that week, through the previous uh, six years. It's, it's good. Again, God rested on the seventh, seventh day. It's to be like God. There's nothing wrong with it. So I'm going to get a copy of this tape and listen to it. CD.
Six days you shall do your work. On the seventh day you shall rest. One day off a week. That your ox and your donkey may rest. And the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. And so what he's telling them is, listen, when I say you're to take the seventh day off. And in those days for the, for the Jews, the Sabbath day wasn't a day where you say, all right, here's my day off. Now I'm going to do all of the things I couldn't get to during the week. Or, you know, get the car in for an oil change and then go over here and fix this thing and get and then shop and buy and, and get everything and go to bed more exhausted than, than ever. It was a true day that was, was completely set aside uh, to, to seeking the Lord and, and being quiet before uh, the, the Lord. But he recognizes, I think, that the uh, master of uh, maybe an estate or property or something would look and say, well, God is telling us to rest on the sixth day, so I'm going to rest. But then he'd keep all of his servants, he'd keep all of his animals and everything working seven days a week and God steps in and says now everybody rests on the seventh day and in all that I have and you notice that they may be refreshed God's into it be refreshed freshened up for the next you know week in life nothing wrong with that and in all that I have said to you uh, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods nor let it be heard from your mouth and so there was uh, they were in, in all of this stuff that they were uh, is they were going to go into the land they were not to not only not to worship the false gods of the land that they were going into not even to mention of them they didn't want to do anything that produced a curiosity about these false false gods and a knowledge of them. Uh, later Israel will be filled with idolatry. They will disregard this command of God also and uh, God will have to send prophets to call them into repentance. And then now in uh, verse 14 he begins to give them laws co uh, governing the annual feasts, religious feasts of the Jews. And the Jews had uh, three uh, religious, there were three great feasts of the religious Jewish calendar. And, and this is what he talks about now. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. And so these, these were religious feasts but there were always great celebration and feasting and all that were associated uh, with it. You shall keep number one uh, the feast of unleavened bread and you shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I have commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib for in it you came out of Egypt and none of you shall appear before me empty and so he's talking the first feast is the feast of unleavened bread the feast of unleavened bread kind of began uh, it, it, it was a seven day feast but the day prior to it was the feast of Passover so very often you'll hear the, the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread referred to jointly as, as the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so that's what he's talking about here. March, April of our calendar. And this feast, interestingly enough, was fulfilled by Jesus. He died on the cross uh, during the Feast of, of Passover. And so uh, uh, the, this, this feast, in terms of Old Testament typology, fulfilled by Jesus already. 
The second feast was the Feast of Harvest, uh, also known as the Feast of First Fruits. Uh, and the Feast of Harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field. And so they were to also mark that, that particular feast. Uh, the Feast of First Fruits or the Feast of Harvest was uh, always 50 days after the Passover. And so it was also known as the Day of Pentecost when uh, Peter stood up and, and the Holy Spirit was breathed out upon the church as they were waiting in Jerusalem. Uh, Peter stands up, he preaches the gospel as people are misunderstanding the supernatural phenomenon of what's going on and 3,000 people upon hearing that message were brought into the kingdom of God. In other words, what? It was a fulfillment of the feast. The first fruits now, the first people now to get saved they're on the day of Pentecost and of course that great harvest uh, the subsequent uh, you know, harvest to the first fruits stretches right into this room today so that also is a feast that's been fulfilled in terms of of its typology of Christ in the church and then the third feast was the feast of ingathering which occurs at the end of the year when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field and so this feast occurs even today among the Jews September October depending on the year uh, where where it lands it's also called the feast of tabernacles or the feast of booths. Interestingly enough, that this particular feast has not was not fulfilled in any way by Jesus nor by the work of the Holy Spirit through the early church so this feast is waiting to yet be fulfilled because the Bible says that the volume of the book testifies to Jesus it's all a picture of him and so this is why so often when when you you see this feast referred to as the feast of ingathering people think about the rapture so when you I think the guy was at Wisenot or something 88 reasons why the Lord was going to come in 1988 what year is it uh, 2007 so we don't want to be you know putting date setting or anything like that but most often when you get people that are doing some date setting they will set it toward the time of this feast because they think that it will be fulfilled at the time of the rapture and uh, that will be the fulfillment of that feast I don't agree with that because I think that that narrows the rapture down to our thinking it's going to be around a certain few days in the year and the Lord wants us to be open you know to any time for that uh, rapture uh, to to occur so maybe it'll be the date of the second coming I don't know but it, it will be in some way fulfilled I think in the future uh, by the Lord so these are the the feast three times he says in the year all your males shall appear before the Lord God and so three times a year the Jews were to come from all over the land come to the tabernacle first of all and then later to Jerusalem when the temple was built to appear before the Lord uh, during those that's why Jesus went with his family uh, to uh, Jerusalem in order to keep these feasts uh, listed here in, in the law. And you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread. Uh, leaven is a type of sin and so it's inconsistent to put something that uh, is a type of sin to be uh, applied and offered with a sacrifice of God. So it was always to be unleavened bread that was offered with a sacrifice. Nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until the morning the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house 
of the Lord your God, and you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's uh, milk. And so very, very interesting uh, command. You go to uh, this whole command of you shall not boil a a young goat in its mother's milk was uh, probably a, uh, a Canaanite fertility rite. They did all kinds of crazy things to increase fertility and their, their idolatry and, and all. And so that seems what it was and that what God was forbidding them. You're going to go into a land. This is what these Canaanites do related to fertility, human fertility, uh, the, thing, the sacrifices that they would offer so that their crops would be more fertile and this kind of stuff. And a specific warning to them, do not do this thing. And so they would take uh, a young goat, they would sacrifice it, and then they would take the milk of the mother goat and, and boil the meat of, of the baby goat in, in the milk. And so he was prohibiting them to do that. Now, it gives you, it's of some interest to some of us maybe, maybe nobody, but I'm going to say it anyway. But um, to tell you what religious people can do with a single command, uh, when you go over to Israel today um, and, and you have breakfast there, you go to any place that's kosher, which is most places, uh, then uh, you, you will never be served meat and dairy at the same time because of this commandment. Uh, in the outside chance that you might in the morning, so in the morning you can have dairy and fish. Somehow fish uh, gets a, a loophole in, in the thing. So you can have dairy and fish in the morning, but no meat. In the evening, you can have meat, but no dairy. So you go, to, you, know, you go to put some half and half in your coffee, and you put what is there, and you think that's half and half until you taste it. <laughs> what is that? It's phony baloney milk of some kind, you know, scientifically mad scientists come up with, but there's not a bit of dairy in it. And uh, it, because you're having meat and you can't have dairy at the same time. And the outside chance that if you had a little uh, goat kebab or something for dinner and then you had a glass of milk that that would be a baby goat piece of baby goat and the milk uh, happens to be uh, the, the goat milk of the mother and uh, then you eat them together it goes into your stomach 98.6 and, uh, and so it seethes now it's being boiled in its mother's milk inside of you so to head off any chance of that uh, this, this whole thing has been established I mean, it's really tough to find a cheeseburger over there. But one of our pastors did. I won't really go into all of that. It's, it's not like a big burden over there or anything, but you watch the whole nation kind of... Boy, if you sit down at a table where one side is set over for dairy and one's for meat, and you take your, your pepperoni... Well, you don't get pepperoni pizza over there, but you take your, your whatever and you bring it over into the dairy side, and it's like you've started World War III on, on things, and you wonder, what's that all about? And people, typically, one or two in the group will get you know chased away like they're idiots or something because, you know, everybody's really gracious over there. But sometimes a shop owner will get upset about it and uh, chase someone away and people go, what was that all about? Well, it's, it's what this is about. What would be the, the, the solution to it would be, you know, just don't eat any goat or something like that. Bring on the beef. Bring on the chicken, you know, and and so that because if you're going to be if you're going to be that, you know, 
detailed related to this. It's talking about goats. So why forbid beef? Why forget, forbid chicken? And chickens don't even have any milk. So I mean, there's like no chance of that that happening at all. So, but it, it's funny how we like to, to complicate uh, things. Then and then he he speaks here in, in verse 20 and starts to give them some promises associated with uh, the conquest of, the, of Canaan that they're going to go into. Also some, some warnings there too. He said, Behold, I send an angel. And uh, in, in my Bible, the, the angel is capitalized there. We'll see why in just a moment. Behold, I send an angel before you, the Lord said uh, to Moses, to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Uh, beware of him. I mean, give him your undivided attention and obey his voice do not provoke him for he will not pardon your transgressions for my name is in him now whoever this angel is is more than an angel because this angel has the ability to forgive sins or not forgive sins uh, only God has that ability so most people believe and, and I'm certainly one of them that this angel is a re ref reference to what is known as a Christophany uh, a theophany or a Christophany and, and a Christophany is a pre-incarnate or an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ of Jesus. Jesus has existed, I mean he's eternal, existed in eternity past. And, and so he didn't come into being when he was born into the world. So there are places in the Old Testament where clearly God stepped uh, in, into uh, these different scenes. You think about Jacob, remember when he was wrestling with the angel there uh, over the brook Jabbok. And, and clearly he is wrestling with God as the passage declares. It can't be uh, God the Father because the Bible says no man has, has seen God at any time. He's a spirit. He doesn't take on that kind of a form. So it, it's believed that that was Jesus that, that he was uh, wrestling with, that this is Jesus, a pre-incarnate, before Jesus was born into the world. That's what the incarnation is. It takes on a human body, born into the world in this way. That, that he was uh, appearing to them to lead them into uh, the promised land. So they weren't just going to go in on their own. God was going to lead them in that way. And that doesn't mean that, you know, here's Moses and then Jesus is standing right here taking them uh, in. It's just saying that, that the, the Lord would be present with them in this, in this way uh, if through Jesus then to give instruction, give direction, and they wouldn't be doing it apart from God. And but if, um, if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies. How great is that? Man, if you've if you got an enemy and you want someone to be an enemy to your enemies, you can't do better than have God be that. So just obey him and his voice. Do what, what I speak you know, through him and then I'll be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. In other words, uh, victory is a, is a done deal. For my angel will go before you and bring you in to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and I will 
cut them off. And for uh, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. The reason that these people were being displaced from their land was because of their idolatry and the kind of um, people, the kind of civilization and nation, uh, tribes and clans that their gods had produced. And, uh, and so it, it produced such wicked people and, and violent, terrible people that God was saying, I'm going to destroy them and remove them from the land. But God was saying to his people, don't think that if you start worshiping those same gods that I am uh, displacing them from the land for, that you're somehow different and, and, you, and I won't bring judgment on you for it. And, and so they were to be ruthless in their dealing with these, these false gods and, and these idols and you shall, so you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water and I will take sickness away from the midst of you you no one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land and I will fulfill the number of your days and so God promises them if they would be obedient he would bless them with supernatural uh, health and uh, Worshiping and obeying God, of, of course, uh, th that it would, would result in their having uh, health and longevity and, and bounty in, in, in their lives. Then at verse 27, fascinating, the Lord informs them that they will uh, be possessing the land uh, little by little. And he gets to that there in verse 30. He said, I will send my fear before you. So even before they go into the land, God said, I'm going to make these native populations fearful of you. Remember when the spies came into the city of Jericho, uh, sent by Joshua, they came to Rahab and Rahab said, we are terrified of you people coming here. And that, that was a, a faithfulness to this promise. God had terrified their enemies. Um, it, it would be kind of weird. I, th I assume that all of us as Christians have experienced uh, spiritual warfare and uh, significant spiritual warfare to where how uh, even the devil, here we are filled with the Holy Spirit and have God indwelling us and yet how the devil can come and uh, try and give you an irrational fear or whatever it might be and it takes the word of God and, and a disciplined mind and the armor on and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit to resist that kind of a demonic influence. Imagine with it, when God comes to a population and he puts fear in them. Can you imagine how terrible and uh, that fear would be, how defenseless you would be in the face of that fear? And that's what God brought upon these, these people. And so, I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. That is, uh, flee in, in defeat. And I will send hornets before you which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittites from before you. How many have been uh, stung by a hornet? Okay. Worse than a bee sting, right? How many of you was it worse than a bee sting? A hornet sting. Yeah, you bet it was. I don't know that I've ever been stung by a hornet. I was stung by a wasp. 
When I was growing up as a kid, I was stung by zillions of bees. I mean, we used to catch bees by the gazillions, put them in jars, and, well, anyway, enough about that. Um, and we'd release them ultimately after they killed things that we wanted them to kill in the jars. But, but we would, we would end up, so you're going to get stung doing that kind of stuff. And I remember one time I was just in, at our current house and I'm working away pruning some kind of a thing or something like that. And, and I, I got my hand into a wasp nest and, and got hit just one. I didn't, didn't get swarmed or anything. Just got one thing. It's like, wow, what is that? was behind that bush you know went right into the garage I mean I got stuff to kill I got to kill an elephant so I went in there got that thing and I just exercised dominion over that that nest but it's biblical and you know it and and so it's not good for the environment but I did it and listen what am I going to do like Take it to the neighbor's yard and put it there. You have to do certain things. It wasn't pretty, but I, but I did it. It's the kind of guy I am. So, but it, wow. Now you can imagine. I don't care how brave you are. How now? We're not talking about where you got tanks and things that you can seal up. Now, if God sends a swarm of hornets against your enemy before you even get there, uh, they're not going to be in very good shape to fight. And, and so God just going to supernatural. He's, he's got the whole realm, insect realm, animal realm, any of these things. Uh, uh, you know, nature, any way he wants to use it in order to, to bring uh, about the defeat and to drive them out. Those populations would have been helpless in the face of that. And I will not, God said, drive them out from before you in one year. God says the conquest of the land, it's not going to happen in one year, lest the land become desolate and then all of the wild beasts, you know, uh, reproduce and everything and become so numerous uh, in the land that it would be hard for them to come back in and retake it. Now we sometimes Sometimes we can think of Israel today as some of this very modern place, beautiful place, and you, you kind of got to hunt around to find a fox or a, uh, you know, a bobcat or something like that, though they, they are there in the Galilee and all. But in those days, a lot of wild animals in, in Israel. So if the population was displaced uh, too quickly of, of these enemies and all, uh, displaced from the land, the animals would take over, it would be harder to retake it later so it would be done uh, progressively and in, in this way and it would take a, a little bit of time little by little verse 30 is important verse little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have uh, increased and as they grow in their population uh, then, then as they move forward and you will inherit the land and so uh, this uh, 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 you know, God doing it, but letting them know ahead of time it's not going to happen in in a flash. Now, um, the possessing of the promised land is is a picture scripturally of of us. Uh, God had given them the land of Canaan. He had promised it to them. And uh, so all they had to do was go in and take possession of it. It was theirs as far as they went. And, and, and uh, the, the, uh, it was all theirs to take. 
And, and it's a picture of the promises in the New Testament that we have in Christ. He's given us all of these incredible promises. And the issue for us as Christians is not whether we have those promises. It's not whether we have this abundant, victorious life that's been described for us uh, in the New Testament and, and has been provided for us in Jesus. The issue is how much of that life are we going to take possession of in the course of of our life. And so that's what it's a, a picture uh, of. The promises are, are there. They're all over the place. But sometimes we have to grow into those promises. No one becomes a mature Christian in one year. It just doesn't happen that way. Nobody possesses all of those promises in one year. So stay patient with yourself. Don't, don't stay in the same place year after year. There should always be growth. But, but you're not going to become a, a, a mature and, and you know, full-grown Christian overnight. That's something we're going to grow in, and none of us is going to be perfect until we go to be with, with the Lord. And then all of those promises are whew, you know, off the graph uh, fulfilled for us. So this maturity in the Christian life, it happens over the long haul of a pilgrimage, over the long haul uh, of of a life. I think that, and, and the reason I just want to camp here for a moment is, is I think sometimes people can get so frustrated with the fact that they're not perfect yet. And, and here, you know, it, I've been walking with God for five years and, uh, and, I, and, and I'm still haven't got everything perfected and I still make mistakes and I still sin, try as I might, and, and all of, of this and uh, nobody, it's just not, that, that's not realistic. We don't, need to, we don't want to live a life of deliberate sin, but we're going to grow. We're going to grow in, in our maturity all the days of our life. I've always kind of pictured it this way, where here, let's say, I, uh, a person comes to know the Lord. We'll just uh, depersonalize it entirely. Here's somebody who comes to know the Lord. God looks at their life and says, wow, I've got about uh, 35 years before the rapture occurs and gonna, I'm going to take them home to be with me. And he looks at that person and when he looks at that person he realizes in the course of these next 35 years there's 217 things that I'm, I'm going to change in their life. I'm going to make them unrecognizable but these are major issues and things I'm going to change one at a time in, in their lives. It's funny how so often when we become a, a Christian we can think that the most uh, and I've heard it through the years the most important thing to God when a person becomes a Christian is that they quit smoking. Now, I, I think God will, will deal with smoking in a person's life on a stewardship issue related to their life, but, but that's between him and the person. But God can look at a person, and here they come to know him, and, and smoking may be on the list, but it may be number 25 on, on a thing. God's going to get to it, but here are all these other things that are going on in their life that he knows these are more important, these are more urgent, I'm going to work on these things, and then we're going to work toward these other things. And you can be going crazy over something that's number 47 on the list, but he's working on number 25. He, it doesn't mean you, we you know, live willfully disobedient in some area of our life. He's going to get to all of these things. It's going to take time, but he, he is going to get to those things. And, and even as it was going to take them time to inherit 
the land. Grow enough then to possess the fullness of their possessions. And I will set, he said, verse 31, your bounds. So here he gives the boundaries uh, of the land of Canaan that he's giving to the Jews. From the Red Sea, uh, talking about kind of the eastern boundary there, uh, to the sea, uh, talking about the Mediterranean Sea as the, as the western boundary, uh, Philistia, and then from the desert to the river. And so you got the Red Sea as a eastern boundary, Mediterranean Sea as a, a western boundary, Euphrates River as a northeastern boundary because that's what that river is, is talking about, the Euphrates River, not the Jordan, and then the Arabian Desert is, is the southern boundary. Now when you go to Israel today and you talk uh, to people about, uh, you know, the land, Gaza, West Bank, all these different kinds of things, and you talk to Jews who are uh, uh, knowledgeable in the scriptures and serious about studying those things they look at what they're like the scraps they're trying to fight for you know with the UN and the US and Europe and everyone putting pressure on them they don't look at that and say that's what God has promised to us they look at the Word of God and they realize God has promised us land all the way to the Euphrates now that caused World War three today if they go in and, and try to take it but they sit and they say God has given the promise and it's up to him to fulfill the promise. We don't have to take that into our own hands. But it is interesting uh, to note, and I think it's also interesting for us as citizens of the United States, our country tries to get into the foreign policy of Israel and other uh, nations also, and we can find ourselves on the wrong side of God on, on particular issues and trying to force Israel into accepting something that's far less than maybe God is wanting to, uh, to give to them at this time or maybe it'll happen in the millennium I don't I don't know but it's a it's a very large piece of land uh, much larger than we associate with Israel that's been promised to them and you shall make no covenant with them nor with their gods uh, for I will deliver you back into verse 31 I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you you shall make no covenant with them nor with their gods they shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me for if you serve their gods it will surely be a snare to you their gods destroyed them their gods will destroy you if you engage in those same things God's people are no God's people they have the same result and so he warned them away well why don't we stop there tonight and uh, pick things up uh, in chapter 24 next week as we head into a, a different section now as God begins to talk about uh, the uh, establishing of, of the law as a formal covenant with the children of Israel, then the, the making of the tabernacle and the furnishings of the tabernacle, and it's all uh, very exciting, and we were supposed to get to it tonight. But um, I just, I love chapters 21, 22, and 23. I love law and order. I love decent in an order. I love a God that operates that way. I love responsibility. I love all of that stuff. I have loved going through this chapter tonight. What you enjoyed or didn't enjoy, what can I say uh, about that? I had a great time, and uh, that's the main thing, isn't it? Really. So, but we'll uh, try and pick things up. Yes, I'm glad you understand. So if the worship team would come forward, we'll...
get a chance to close up uh, tonight. Get